This right. is an eight iron, and it's a dead shank. Wow. Way right. Oh, Takes a hop off the path. You gotta be kidding me. Very tough pitch shot right here. You gotta hit it into the hill. One hop up and bite, and it's in. Kind of like that. Well, I would like to welcome noted swing instructor and PGA professional Kyle Aldernick to the Sub 70 Podcast Pro. I really appreciate you taking the time tonight to uh, spend some time with us and uh, talk a little golf. Yeah, no, I'm happy to do it. Thanks for having me. You know, I got uh, big shoes to fill following um, Commander Riggins, so hopefully I can give you a good episode here. Yeah, Jack, uh, that was fun, man. It's fun to talk to you know somebody with that kind of and I know you're going to have them on your podcast coming up a little bit. But you know, for people listening, when is that podcast you're doing with uh, Commander Riggins? So we're actually doing it Thursday. Uh, let me get the exact date here because um, I don't know exactly when you're airing this. But uh, Thursday the 28th, uh, 6 p.m. Central. So that's going to be on YouTube Live and uh, probably Facebook Live, but mo- more than likely YouTube Live under my academy's name, Champion Ways Golf. So yep. I'll be blasting links out about that, and you can see stuff on my Instagram about that as well too. We're gonna we're just kind of promoting it every day because, like like you told me when I mean you introduced us, and you know I was just glued to the you know the conversation talking to him, and I was just like you know everybody kind of needs to be able to have a chance to listen to this guy. So I thought it'd be a great idea to go live with him and let people interact, and I think it's gonna be a lot of fun. Yeah, I always say like you spend time with Commander Riggins and. You leave that conversation, or I've been fortunate enough to to be friends with them, and uh, the personal time you, I feel like I'm a better human being, a smarter human being, for just spending some time with him. He's a no really doubt about it. Great guy, and he's humble, but he's wise, and he's just he's. I really like the the the, the man himself. Like it's taking away even the the whole um, Navy SEAL thing. I think it's hard to separate the two because it kind of makes him probably what he is, but he's so insightful into performance and the mind and getting the best sort of us out of life that you en- I enjoy being around him and spending some time with him. So I got a golf trip coming up with him in June, so that should be fun. And I know he's competitive, so it's going to be like, you know, if he's on the opposite team, I mean, I'm going to try to beat the shit out of him and, you know, <laughs> talk crap to him and like, how the hell does a Navy SEAL lose to this guy sort of routine, right? Like, I got to play right. it up. Have but, to, yeah. But if he's my teammate, like, I'm sure it's going to just be tenacious. Like, right, he's just going to, like, scrap and pull, and there's no quitting that guy. So, you know, it'll be fun to compete against him, but I also, you know, hope he's on my team for one of the matches. I'm sure we'll be switching it up. So, no, it's, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be fun. So, yeah, no, um, I'm sure you'll be great on this, but, uh, you know, there is uh, – there was definitely some cool insights. I, I, you know, our podcast was lost last fifty minutes, and it went, I think, like an hour and a half or something. So, once yeah, listen, talking, I, I know my place. I'm gonna, I'm gonna tee him up some questions. I'm just gonna get the hell out of the way. Like, exactly. no <laughs> people don't want to hear us. me at that point. Yeah, no, like, no, they want to hear from the, the guy who's been in the trenches and having bullets fly at him and you know surviving. Well, and, that, that's uh, yeah. all of my podcasts, right? I mean, no one cares about me. Everyone wants to hear about, you know, how you can help them with the golf swing. So we're going to do the same thing here with this tonight. So speaking right of golf swings, and I, uh, I'll get into this with you a little bit, but watch the match. And I was talking to some guys about this, and I said, as much as Brady and Peyton are gamers, 
they're going to struggle for a while playing up to their handicap. And it looked like they did. Like I don't know if you watched it, but Brady mm-hmm. really struggled. Mm-hmm. As a coach, and, and I, I have played well under pressure, and I've also personally been exactly where Brady is, where it's like, oh, my God, this can't be happening. How can I be this bad? The pressure can get to you. I thought he had the classic you know, signs of it where body stops, arms take over, had that sort of tight look to it. What, what did you sort of see? And if we are in that situation, how do we amateurs you know, fix that, that situation to play to the best of our abilities? Sure. I mean, it's, it's very common, you know, so my guess is what happens is because, you know, Tom's out of his element. So you put him on the football field and I mean, he's arguably the goat. He's won so much. And, you know, if you ask him what happens if he misses a pass or something in football, I'm sure he's like, I just keep plugging along. I know the next one's going to be better. But, you know, in golf, what happens is because it's out of his element, like he's trying to make himself look better. So every shot, I guarantee he was putting a little more value on it trying a little bit harder, you know, and essentially over trying and overthinking is the pitfall for most golfers, you know, so every swing he's trying a little bit harder to perfect it, a little bit harder to perfect it, you know, and you start consciously thinking about your movement so much that you're so tense, you can't move. So hence you see the body stop and, you know, arms flip and you just can't put a really good rhythmic swing on it. And it's probably to the point by the end, I, I guarantee you would have told you I felt uncomfortable even holding the club because it just, you start getting in so much in your own head about it. You know, and it, it usually gets to a point, too, where it's just like you kind of give that that mental give up, like, oh, whatever, you know, and just kind of move on. Have you had students where you've had to literally go through this with them, where in the sense, like, you're, you're, you're on the range with them, they're striping it, you go play their home course, they're striping it, you've seen it up close, you know the talent's there, yet when they go play a match or a, maybe a mid-am qualifier or something, it changes, and then... How do you go then? So we see what's happening. Then what drills do you give people to stop that from happening? To just sort of, you know, I, I, I don't know what you think, but I play my best golf and I just sort of see golf shot, execute the golf shot. Not mm-hmm. not much thinking, not a lot of mechanics. You know, I have a good routine going. It's the same. It's the same pace. It's the same way I go into the golf ball. But it just I let it happen. Now we all hope we can kind of get there. How do you, how do you have you worked with, you know, my first thing is have you had students you had to work with? And then B, how do we get to that place where it does seem more easy than difficult, even though we're playing competitive type of matches? Yeah, I mean, 100%. I, I see it on a daily basis. You know, I mean, I, I work heavily on ju- the junior side of things and competitive juniors trying to make their way up to college. And, you know, I have a lot of juniors with, uh, we'll say, intense parents. So, you know, when they go out there, they're, they're already pretty tensed up because they're worried about, you know, the repercussions of not playing well, unfortunately. And you see it big time when players start to get in that mode. So how we go about kind of changing that, I guess, is really going away from mechanics completely and starting to, well, I call it changing the goal. So I start making the goal of the swing something super simple that they feel like they can control, like, you know, rhythm or just literally low tension where we'll do some, you know, like I won't have them put their thumbs on the club just to feel the things loose and sloppy where it becomes all about like, just can you move and can you make the motion to get your body moving again? Because typically when players get that locked up, it gets so step by step. Am I hinging my, you know, am I hinging my wrist right? Is my grip right? And everything is, gets to be so hyper controlled 
that they just can't do it. You know, I think that's what you were seeing with Brady, and you see that with, you know, the person that's striping it on the range and then has the first tee and duck hooks it off because it's a whole different visual cue. It's a whole different level of tension going up through the body. So if I had to really sum that up, I mean, tension is really the biggest killer, but yet everybody kind of runs to the range and is trying to do swing drills to master that. And then they get really frustrated when they start hitting it well in the range, but you don't have that same pressure on you yet. You don't have that same tension, so things tend to flow. And you're just like, well, why am I so much better in the range? And, you know, people get so frustrated. You see that. Oh, yeah. I've seen it, lived it. That's why usually like two or three cocktails before a bigger match, I'm kind of in a, <laughs> you know, a little bit of a more like relaxed state, like, ah, whatever, just, you know, see target and turn, right? Just keep, I always try to tell myself, yeah, I always try to tell myself, just keep turning, turn, mm-hmm. right? Just turn through the golf ball. That's, you know, body stop, hands take over. So, uh, well, if you think about that, sorry to cut you off, but yeah. like you just made it about one simple thing you can do. You know, and that's the thing is these players that are tensed up and having those issues, they're, they're probably got five different things they're trying to do, which like physically slows everything down. It's just brain doesn't process information like that. So it's like one simple thing, turn through the ball and that's going to produce a result versus like, oh shit, like I might hook this out of bounds and now we're really fearful of this thing taking off left. So we end up blocking it out to the right because we're holding on for dear life. Like it's a whole different mindset if you think about it. Breathing, do you work on that with the guys too? Just to slow down, breathe. You know, I've I have worked with breathing with certain people. Um, you know, some people just kind of brush you off when you do it, but that's also I think why having Riggins on is going to be great because these are like the best performers in the world, and that's something he talks a lot about is is just breathing and controlling your heart rate. So I think more people will listen to that. I've always been kind of pushed off by some, and I've had some that took it so deeply that they went and studied like mindfulness and stuff like that. So it just I kind of leave that up to the player, but I, I offer that as a technique because I understand it. I've practiced it. Um, so I think breathing is a huge one, especially in terms of just getting the heart rate down and you know getting yourself uh, into a little more of a calm position. Um, but to be honest, I, I don't really talk about that with everybody. How did you get involved in being a professional instructor and, and what was sort of your pathway to that and you know, what do you love about it most? Um, it's great question. So, you know, I really take that back to when I was a junior player. Um, you know, I'm just a I'm a person who just like when I wanna do something, I, I go full like a thousand percent into it to get good at. It. Like I just can't accept not being good at something. That's just always been my mindset. So when I took on golf, it was a really big challenge. Uh, the game was a lot harder. So, I, you know, I grew up with a bunch of great athletes in a very small town, and we won everything. We won football, basketball. So everything seemed to come easy. You know, golf didn't come easy. So I really went into this, like, what, do, what, you know, what am I missing? And I got a chance to work with an amazing, amazing instructor. Um, but I only got to see her every once in a while. Her name was Patty Butcher in Grand Rapids, Michigan, where I'm from. And... So I would just kind of hang out and like really take notes and really listen. And like the feeling I had leaving a session, like I wanted to be able to give that to people. Like I felt so good. Like I felt cured. I felt like I could take on the world. So I was like, that's so cool. And then, you know, kind of fast forwarding a little bit, like through college, you know, I coached basketball, um, things like that. And then, you know, in college golf like I was actually on the range with people because I've studied so much and you know I had one of the guys on the team was like hey what do you think of my swing and you know I'm out there with a and this is before the iPhone days but I'm out there with a big VHS video camera 
taping people and we're sitting there slowing it down and going through it together. And I was like, you know what, if I can even help just a little bit, um, it was just an amazing feeling. And I just kind of knew at that point, I was like, you know what, uh, I'm going to, I'm just kind of done with normal school, we'll call it. So I just kind of took off and went to Florida to really study, you know, get into golf and start mentoring other people. And I just, I just knew that was the path right then. I had that feeling being able to help people get better and kind of solve their problems was just amazing. So I just had to run with it. When you have a, your, your, I don't want to call it a system, but when you have your concepts of how you want to work with students, do you sort of see it in like you have a technique that you think is applicable to most golf swings? And we're going to try to kind of get that. I think of that like uh, Jimmy Ballard or something like that who kind of had mm-hmm. that system, right or wrong, arguable, or um, oh, uh, what was the uh, Bobby Clampett of the, uh, the, the uh, golf book one? Um, the impact zone? No, no. Uh, the old, the one. Oh gosh, I should know this. The one Bryson. Uh, oh, the golfing machine. The golfing machine, right? Yeah. They had like very a very technical. Yeah. Very technical, but it was a, a system. Mm-hmm. And then there's guys who teach like Butch, where it's sort of like he's taught Kelkovecchia, Justin Leonard, and DJ, who all mm-hmm. have like completely different golf swings. And to me, like Butch sort of just refines their natural motion, right? Like mm-hmm. Fowler's swing just doesn't look as dropped into me and quite as flat. It's just. It's, it's, you know, he's Ricky Fowler, but it's taking really good and trying to make it great. But there's a lot to work with. But he kind of lets the natural motion happen versus what I think of like a Jimmy Ballard type swing. Mm-hmm. What's your process of sort of working with your students? Is it is it sort of one or the other or a combination? Or how do you sort of see your student, you know, how do you get your students to the level of their absolute best? Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, that's one that's been long debated in, in the golf world is, you know, what is right? People have their their looks and their systems. And um, I just could never fit into that. It just never made sense to me because, you know, people don't move the same. And, you know, I was always kind of unique in, in my way. And I think that kind of helped shape who I was, too. So, like, I'm somebody who really is, is borderline, I would call a stack and tilt player. Like, I really load everything on the left. I uh, have a shorter kind of swing and, and, you know, I came across some, some teachers and they were great teachers along the way, um, or known as them, but you know, they all try to get me into my right side. And when I try to get into my right side, I couldn't hit the ball on the face. Like I just could not do it. And I would get frustrated and I'm like, well, this is the way it's gotta be done because these people are telling me. And, you know, I just got into some bad things myself listening to like, this is how it's gotta be. And it just doesn't make sense to me. And again, I'm somebody who just dives in and, you know, I'll give you a quick, when I first got into teaching, you'll like this story. So I, you know, this V1 video was, was the thing, you know, get a camcorder and V1 video. That's what we had. Trackman didn't exist yet. This was back in 2005. And so I give V1 and I'm downloading model swings for players to look at. And I'm like, I'm going to go through the top 10 players in the world and I'm going to use those videos. Well, Tiger was number one. Of course, I'm going to show people Tiger because, you know, he's Tiger. And I'm looking at, like, number two was Vijay Singh. And I'm like, well, I can't show people Vijay's swing because it looks goofy and his hand comes off the club. And, like, three was Furyk. And Furyk, I can't show people Furyk's swing. Are you kidding me? And I'm, like, literally picking off, like, four or five, six. I can't show these people. Like, Mickelson's, like, way across, like, the line and long in his swing. Like, I can't show that. You know, and I kind of started thinking, I'm like, wait a minute. Like, these are the top of the top in the world, all looking different. 
and all basically doing stuff I can't show the average person what to do, like that just didn't make a lot of sense to me. So right there was kind of like an aha, like, again, there's there's not a mold to fit. You know, I searched for it. I looked at thousands of hours of videos trying to find the commonalities of all these players, and really all I could find is they knew how to put the ball in the hole. Like, they did not look the same. And it stays true today. I would say the Corn Fairy Tour has more of the cookie-cutter swings than the PGA Tour. Those are the guys that know how to score. The other ones are just looking good on video. But mo- most of the guys at the moment of truth, though, kind of look the same at impact, though. You'd agree sure. there, right? Yeah, I mean, so that's sort of the – they all get it there, right? Yeah, they, they can control it. They can control the face and the bottom of the swing, and they can make the ball do what they want to do. I mean, that's the big thing. They're, they're all adaptable. You know, they can hit draws and fades and high and low. You know, they're not – and that's the thing with, with the model swing, if you will, and that's where it all falls apart is because we're not on a flat lie all the time. That's all the model swing is good for is if you're on a flat lie. I'm going more with like the Furyk swing where you would look at it and you'd go, uh, but at, at the moment of impact, it's like perfect. Huge oh, yeah, clearing yeah, yeah, of the sure. hips. You know, it's right next to his side. Like it's just – it's amazing how, to me, they get there in different routes – but boy, there's some fundamentals that to hit a you know to be a great player, they all sort of when it, at the moment of truth, it's it's in that quote unquote position, right? And then the question is, exactly. how do you allow them to get there on their own accord at some level? Because you said all the bodies are a little bit different, and mm-hmm. I agree. I think if you get too technical, where it has to be, you know, an absolute. I'm trying to think of like besides like Adam Scott. You know, who just has the most technically beautiful golf swing? I'm kind of even thinking now who's a top 10 player in the world that doesn't have a little bit of uniqueness to it, right? You're, it's, it's, it's interesting. Justin to say Rose that. is pretty robotic. Yeah, it's a pretty know? good swing from uh, yeah. <laughs> repeatability. I think Justin Thomas' swing is pretty technically sound, isn't it? Sure, for, yeah. if, you're, if you're teaching a book, right? Like Exactly. But there's some, you know, I'm trying to think of, uh, you know, DJs, Kepkas. I don't know if, you know, I wouldn't be athletic enough to make that move. Right. You know, so there's, yeah, there's some unique swings. That's so interesting. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but as you're looking oh. through this, then you see, okay, Jim Furyk's fourth in the world and you can't teach this. And it's sort of eye-opening and we sort of say, okay, let's look at each guy's or, or lady's body type, what they can do, how athletic are they, how much work are they going to do, right? Then we sort of make mm-hmm. a plan that way. Yeah, you know, and honestly, I I do, in terms of like the swing mechanics, I do most of it in the setup, you know. So, for example, just like if somebody can't turn well, they need more, we'll call it vertical in the swing. Like they need to basically stand up more. So if you start looking down the senior tour as guys lose their flexibility a little bit, you see a lot more of them just kind of using their legs and kind of almost standing up and just turning the face over and hitting little draws, you know, so they're really using the ground to do that. And that's not a bad thing. You know, I'm like that too. I can't turn my hips a lot like, you know, the 18-year-old, tour players who are in the gym all the time like i'm just not going to do that so you see a lot of front load with me and a lot of stand up and i still hit the ball really well you know but again if i went to somebody that was like this is the way you got to do it and showing me justin thomas and tiger woods like i'm not going to be able to do that but i can get the face of the club to hit center and i can bottom it out in the same spot repetitively. Like I know how to control where the club bottoms out. And I think that's like the number one skill. Like, can you like actually take a divot in the right spot with a face pointing square? Like who cares how it gets there? If you can repeat it. What did you think of, uh, when, when Brandel kind of got into it with all the P 
PGA members of America of saying essentially they've been teaching the wrong way for an extended period of time and his game was ruined from the modern teaching compared to where Brandel was as a, you know, college golfer, et cetera, et cetera. Where, where do you sort of come down on that side of him and Michael Breed's little, you know, back and forth? And I mean, I know it's great theater on Twitter, but right. do they both have a point or where do you sort of see that one? I, you know, I absolutely love Breed's response um, because I, I just think that's true. I think he, Brandel's got a chip on his shoulder that he never got as far as he wanted to, and he's blaming other people. And to me, that's just a bad character trait. Like, you know, I'm somebody who really um, values character in people, and, you know, you got to own up. And, you know, he bounced from all, all kinds of different teachers, too. He never really committed to anything from, from what I know. You know, I'm, let me make that clear. I don't really know the history, but this is coming from other people who are probably a little sore about the subject. But, you know, so he's just looking for the tip of the day, and he got mad that some teacher didn't help him get to the level he wanted to be. So I don't really think he's got a great point there because um, you look at the players today and, and the information and the coaching and the technology, I mean, people are – are scoring better anyway. I mean, that's, again, that's a old argument is, you know, who's going to be better at the Nicholas era or, or now. I mean, that's one we can't ever talk about because just the equipment advances like sub 70, you know, awesome equipment like that. And, um, it's just, you know, it just doesn't make sense. So I, I really appreciate breed stepping up and Michael breed is a super stand up guy. I mean, he's like somebody I really, really admire. And, you know, he's not at all like he was in the golf. Cause I don't know if you've ever met him or seen him in person, but you know, I've had a pleasure of having a few conversations with him in person, heard him speak. I mean, he is a pretty amazing dude. Like he's a really, really awesome stand up guy. So, you know, I appreciate him kind of taking a stand for, you know, what it is and not letting Brandle cause you know, Brandle that's reckless of him too, because he's saying that on TV and he's going to discourage a lot of people from wanting to get help. And there's a lot of, lot of great coaches that can help people and help them play better and enjoy the game more. And essentially that's what it's all about. No, I mean, I'm, I'll be, I'm, I'm first in line on that one. Dave Paglo at Kishwaukee country club, my home course, we were, when I was going to start having kids and had to have a golf swing that was a little bit more repeatable and not as, you know, I'm 40, in my mid forties, so grew up playing the low hook because old equipment to make it not spin. I'm still old enough where you had to do that, and we had to kind of get it more tailored to the modern game. And stunk for one year, sticking with it. But you know, the pro was right, and uh, you know, the club pros know what they're doing, right? They mm-hmm. they can look at someone's golf swing and say, "What are we trying to accomplish here?" And if you put the work and effort in, it's uh, like I said, my golf game is better from our pro. I mean, Dave's a great teacher. And, you know, I can have a golf swing now. I don't have to time out as much. And with the modern equipment, you can do that a little bit more. You know, swing through right. more with your body and less hands. And if it fades one foot, you know, <laughs> it, you don't lose much off it anymore like you used to. So right. I'm a big proponent of the club pro. My game's definitely gotten better from, from working with ours. So interesting. It's, you know, it's always interesting sidebar when Brandel throws something, you know, throws a hand grenade out there and see what happens. You know, on another note, too, just one more thing on that. Like, yeah. I, you know, I got to go to a lot of the – golf magazines to put on these top 100 teacher summits and i got to go to a bunch of those and you know brandall actually spoke there and it's kind of the same thing i mean he he basically said like a lot of what i say is is for media fire you know (laughs) so i give him a little benefit of the doubt because sometimes i know he's saying things just to kind of stoke the fire and get like you said people activated on twitter and because it gets the ratings up you know so yeah, that's kind of his job, of right? At yeah. some level, the golf channel is to say strong opinions. It's sort of what he's paid for, 
Right. I mean, but no, I thought it was just an in, you know because there is this sort of debate on it's probably always been there. Where does where does you know has has modern teaching made players better on tour or less? You know, were they better when the guys just naturally had their swing and or is it better when they you know tighten it up? I, there's always this debate going on. It probably was sure. when Bob Jones was around. They probably had the same concepts of you know what era is the right way to swing the golf club. So it's probably a never ending argument people have, but I always think the debating back and forth is interesting to watch and see and see the points they both have. So, well, people don't like to, to be wrong. You know, I think that's what it boils down to. So when you really teach a certain way and somebody comes around and says, look, that's maybe not the best way to do it. Uh, people get really offended by that, you know, and not bringing politics in at all, but that's like the political war, right? This is my way. is how I see it. And if you don't see it my way, you're an idiot kind of thing. And I think that's what's starting to happen. Well, that's what does happen in the golf world, too. And, uh, you know, again, going back to this Top Hunter Summit, I mean, I literally had to stand between – I won't name any names. But I literally had to stand in between two teachers because they were ready to throw blows over the golf swing. I'm not kidding <laughs> right. you. And both Dude, can probably work, right? Yeah, like 100%. Right. They're both successful yeah. teachers. Like, right. And that's, that's what I'm trying to stand is I'm pushing them away. Like you guys, like both of you have been very, very successful and written books. Like, there's what? What's the what's the point here? Right. I mean, like you said, you can talk. You know, I know stack and let's take the stack and tilt thing, right? Well, that was in vogue and out of vogue, and in vogue and out of vogue. Yet there's still guys on tour. What I'm thinking, like Sergio, right? Pretty much just stacks it, mm-hmm. fires through Colin Montgomery. Then there's guys who come off the golf ball, get way into the right side. Um, you know. VJ Singh, right, comes way off the golf. Both both have been pretty damn successful. Yeah, 100%. And, and making it work. So that's why I always think there's, you know, you could argue either side of that coin. And, right. And, and both guys have made it successful. So I think I'm with you. My opinion is if it matters, if anyone honestly cares, is I think there's a multitude of, of ways players can swing the golf club as long as the player has confidence and they're comfortable with it, that there's not just one method. I think it's been proven over teaching over time that it can work in a multitude of fashions. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I agree with you 100%. Well, speaking of, uh, you know, teaching and like we were talking about this practice, we all have to practice. We're going to put these changes in. And I know you have some systems mm-hmm. and, uh, or I should say some concepts of how to make practice better and more useful to your students. So let's, let's talk about what you try to, to put out there when you're working with somebody or, you know, what, what's your thoughts on, are we not practicing the right way? How do we practice the right way? Like, how do we get the most out of the practice we're putting in? You know, the one that really shocks people about when I help them with their practices, I never write a practice plan that incorporates more than 20% of the time on technique. Like, technical work in my practices are such a small part of it. Um, and the reason for that is, again, number one, like, technique work on the range, it's just all flat lie no consequence, and it just doesn't really translate, honestly. But there's still a need to have good technique. However, if you really train your technique well and you know what you're doing and you just kind of stick to, like, the one drill or the one feel or whatever repetitively, like, you can commit to that. If You know, but too many players are out there with the swing tip of the day and just trying to figure something out. So I want my practices to be you know, very game-like if possible. And one of the biggest skills in any really sport, but really in golf, it's called reading and planning. Like we got to be able to look at a situation and make, you know, a read, like how far is it? What's the wind? 
the lie, you know, what type of shot do I need to hit? And then we need to be able to execute. So like that decision-making process is such a big deal on the course. And when we do repetitive stuff on the range, we're robbed of that, you know? So even in the short game area putting, if we throw five balls down and we just hit the same putt and we don't, we're not in routine or do anything like we do on the course, like that's not valuable at all. That's, (laughs) that's literally just being out there in the sunshine. Um, so, you know, 80% of my practices are players are doing full routine like they are on the course. There's all sorts of variability. So, again, if I have five balls, they're scattered. They're never in the same spot. You know, so you have to make that fresh read every time. You know, again, that could be reading the green. It could be reading the short game. You know, where do I need to land this? What type of trajectory do I need? You know, the more you're forced to look at every shot like an actual game situation, make a decision, hit the shot, you learn dramatically from that. Um So that's kind of the the biggest things. And then secondly, you know, one of the things I always say is that players spend like 80% of their time on like 20% of their game, meaning they spend the bulk of their time with a darn eight iron or seven iron in their hands. And if you really look at the stats from almost anybody across the board, like the amount of times we hit a seven or an eight iron in a round is maybe five or 6%. You know, so driver, short game, Clubs, so driver, wedges, and putter are like 80% of your score, and yet people spend almost no time on those. You know, sometimes with a driver, but for the most part, they're never using their wedges. They're never working on their putting, which putting alone is about 40% if you really break it down. So I hope that answer is kind of long-winded. I mean, that's that's kind of the one where you stoke the fire. I'll, I'll go forever on that stuff. but No, it's not like you're just beating seven irons uh 200 of them in a row with a two yard mm-hmm. draw going. I mean, you're trying to make it a little bit more, uh, you know, live action, more game like playing golf, right? We're not, we're playing golf. We're not playing golf swing. Right. We need, we need that variability because, you know, our brains are wired to multitask. So when you start doing any motion that's repetitive, the brain's like, okay, got it. It's like rinse and repeat and then it checks out and it does other things, you know, so we can do a lot of different things. We can think about a lot of different things in the subconscious. Uh, at one time. I mean, that's how our brains are designed. So when it sees that repetitive action, I'm just hitting seven and over and over and over, like we're checked out. Like you're, <laughs> you're not learning anything. You're not learning how to play golf at all. Like, like I said, you're literally just out there. So by even just changing your target, changing your club, like it snaps you out of it. And again, it makes you have to do like a, a fresh read it's called. And even just those little adjustments right there are, are huge in practicing in that variability. Cause there's tons and tons of research to back that up, that variability will always trump block practice. But block, it doesn't mean you should never do like a block style where you're just working on your swing because we still need that. But if we do the same little repetitive drills that you know helps you, and it's like a check every day. I'm just checking my basics. I'm checking my grip, checking my ball position. And we do 10, 15 minutes of that. Well, then we move into taking that and making it more game-like. And then after that, then we make that, we start making it really challenging because what's interesting is we're always, no matter what, and Jack will tell you this, like he always talks about reverting back to his training. Like we always kind of revert back. We don't rise to the occasion. Like that's a big Navy SEAL thing. So we're not going to magically get better when there's pressure. We're always going to revert back to like how good your practice was. So when we start raising the standards of practice, like I need to hit three in a row on the screen versus just the one to be happy. I need to get it within 10 feet instead of 20 to be happy. Like when we start setting the standards a little bit higher, it translates better to the course. Oh, it makes sense. And I always like, you know, I'm not a huge 
beating golf balls on the driving range. I'd rather, you know, work on a couple of things than actually go and when I practice, I like to practice on the golf course of maybe hitting a draw off the tee and a fade off the tee and, you know, chipping around the greens and putting in different lies just to sort of get a rhythm of that going more than just, you know, unless I'm really working on something, just hitting, you know, six irons mm-hmm. at targets. Yeah. I'd rather kind of just see the shots and hit different golf shots I know I'm going to have to hit. So I'm a... I'm a big proponent of sort of having the diversity, I should say, in the practice versus, you know, hitting the same shot over and over and over. Well, you're over. preparing to play. I mean, that's that's kind of how we got to look at it. If you really just think my practice is preparing me to play on the course, then we got to go through those situations because you're going to be faced with it when you play. I mean, we're never really sitting in that cushy, flat lie like we are in the driving range. We're in the rough. We're on hills. You know, we have trees in front of us. We have wind. Like, there's so many variables that get thrown at us that we need to just we need to work on that stuff to prepare for it. Well, speaking of uh, golfers that are definitely on the improving side of things, uh, Bear's great. I'll call him the goat, especially in that position of long snapper. <laughs> Our buddy Patrick Manley, he's he's looking good on the golf course. Um, I mean, obviously he's really athletic, mm-hmm. probably a super hard worker. I'd have to imagine you don't you know play in the league for what 17 years like he did without that sort of ethical uh, or work ethic and drive right but mm-hmm. you guys have done some good work he went from what three or four handicap and he's a plus now yeah he, he we started when he was a five and he got to a plus two i think he's back to like scratch or maybe a plus one but i mean he just texted me the other day and said he won his club championship in florida shot 66 or something so i told him i'm not playing you for money dude what did was it Harder or easier when you have an elite athlete like that? You know, is it is it easy because he'll work his ass off? Is it hard because he's used to getting stuff quickly? And golf can be difficult even for great athletes. Like, how did the, how's that process of working with somebody like that? Well, first, I mean, I, I'm honored to be honest with you. I mean, I, I'm I feel really blessed to be able to help someone like him, and he's such a good guy. So, like, I mean, him and like Jack Briggins. I mean, these are people who are like at the top of their top and you kind of almost think they would come off arrogant and they're not. I mean, Pat's somebody who I got to remind myself, well, this dude did play in the NFL for 17 years. He takes coaching extremely well. Um, and you know, I, you never know like when, a, when an NFL player is going to, going to come and he might be the only one I ever work with. But you know, I was, I was curious the first day he came, but he just takes coaching extremely well. And it's fun because I know, you know, I I kind of play to people's personality style. So, like, I know this is a guy that's been in the NFL. So, like, I, you know, I I just trash talk him a lot, you know, and that kind of fires him up. And, uh, you know, so, for example, when, he's, when he started, I mean, you know his size. I mean, he could choke slam me probably with two fingers. And he hit the ball, you know, maybe 265 with a driver. And I just was relentless to him. <laughs> I was like, I thought you were this big NFL player and – you know, I'm out here, me, little me, just hitting it way past you type thing. And he's just like, son of a bitch. <laughs> like, um, but that, you know, that kind of stuff, like, drove him. Right. But he's the type of guy that when you give him something, like, he, yeah, he's just going to take it and he's going to go grind on it. He's not going to look for the next thing. He's like, I got to get really good at this. And, you know, part of that was just me kind of, talking to him about like uh, we had literally had a conversation after a lesson one day he was just kind of hitting some putts and i just said he was doing what i just was talking about a minute ago he was hitting 15 foot putts just like six balls in a row just standing there hitting them and i just said hey pat when you were practicing you know your long snapping and you were preparing for a game especially like in the wind we'll say 
I said, did you ever just stand there with a rack of balls and just kind of fire them back there? He's like, well, no. You know, I every time was a new snap, was a new count. Um, you know, basically went through everything. And, you know, he's interesting, too, because there was really no long snapping coaches back then. I mean, like, he figured this all out on his own and created his own stuff. So he's somebody who kind of gets it already. So all I did was just started to bridge the gap and just say, look, when you were doing this, preparing for the Super Bowl, <laughs> what were you doing? And we started taking it. I was like, okay, look at what you're doing when you're working on your golf game and you're trying to improve it. Now look at what you were doing preparing and getting better at long snapping because he was a lineman. He didn't come into the league as a long right. snapper. He right. he had to figure that out to keep his job. So he's like a he's he's not dumb by any means. He's a very smart guy. Like this is what I need to do and I'm going to get really really good at it because this is how I'm going to stay in the league and do this. Um so really all I did I I can't take a lot of credit. I just kind of showed him the light of what he already knows to do so well. And then, you know, I mean, we we worked on his mechanics a little bit, too. That helped and short game shots and things like that. But um, so, I mean, I can't take all the credit. The guy's a hard worker. He's a great athlete. I mean, he's an NFL athlete. So um, I don't think I think it was pretty easy, to be honest with you. Another one of your guys, Jordan Hahn, I got a great story. My buddy, Double G, Grant Goltz, who's a great, he's a great player. He, he played with them when uh, it was like at an amateur tournament up in Wisconsin and Jordan Hahn is like what six eight six nine six nine yeah six nine. So Grant knows who he is, and you know Grant thinks he hits it pretty far, and it's not like a four hundred sixty yard hole or something. And you know Grant gets up there and pops his driver two ninety or whatever, and he said this kid. He's telling me a story after it happened. Goes this kid, you know, hits a utility club off the same tee fifteen yards past me, and I went. What the hell? And he said, man, is this kid good. He called it, Grant called it back then. He was so impressed with this kid. He said he could really play. And, you know, uh, my buddy who usually hits it past everybody else just got smoked that day from a distance <laughs> standpoint. He's like, the talent was really there. So got to be proud of him. He's, uh, what, got Corn Ferry tour status. You guys must have done a lot of work. And what's it like working with an arc that's, you know, that big? I mean, what a weapon to have if you can get it dialed in. Well, for sure. You know, so... The backstory on us, I, I met Jordan when he was going into eighth grade. Or maybe it was ninth grade. It was one of those two. He's going into eighth grade. So Jordan and I have known each other for like nine years now. When I met Jordan, he was five six. So and I'm not kidding you when I tell you this, he grew the bulk of his growth in like one winter. Where I remember he kept showing up like weekly to check in. And I kept looking up and up more. I was like, oh, my gosh. Um, and he got really uncoordinated and ha- and was – I mean, he came in as a pretty good junior um, and then had a really good, like, first summer as we started working together. And then he started hitting this growth spurt, and he got, like, bad. And <laughs> I was almost for sure they were going to just ditch me because he was playing, like, really pretty poorly. And, you know, I just stressed him. I was like, look, when you're growing that fast, like – that's rough. Like we got to retool everything because he right. had a pretty, pretty, you know, typical five six kid like Justin Thomas swing. He had a little more depth to his arms and stuff like that. Well, when he got really tall and lanky, if he got that same swing, he would get super stuck and hit these huge sweeping hooks or big blocks. So we had to get his, we had to retool him and get him a lot more vertical and start to use his height. And I'll never forget this, and I tell this story a lot. I, you know, his dad was with with us one day and his dad is a very very smart man uh engineer and 
he, you know, Jordan was kind of getting mopey. He's like, oh, there's no tall golfers on the, you know, PJ Tour and, and yada, yada. And at this point, he was like 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six or something. And I just looked at his dad. I said, what's the mechanical advantage he has over me at him at 6'6 six, six and me at 6 foot? And he just kind of did the math. He's like, well, about 30%. I said, and I don't know if that's the exact fact, so don't quote me, but somewhere in that, somewhere around 30%. And I said, there you go, dude. So every 100 yards, you're going to hit it close to 30 yards further than me, in theory. And he's just kind of lit up from there. And from there, it's all been about like, wow, I can really pound the ball. And he can, you know, and he now he just kind of prides himself on that. <laughs> I mean, he's, I don't know if he's ever played too many rounds where anybody's longer than him. What kind of club head speed do you got with a driver? He's, um, if he really steps on it, it's like 135-ish. <laughs> yeah. A, that's insane. His smooth tempo where he usually tries to stay so he can keep in, you know, really control of the ball is like 127, I think. But, I mean, he, he can really step on it. He just, he gets out of control. What was that like kind of going through qualifying school and I mean, you're playing for your livelihood. I mean, that's real pressure. How did, how did you guys work together on that to sort of get the most out of them and, you know, embrace the moment? Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing was we were trying to stress, like you're young, just give it the best you got. You're going to live to fight another day. And I think that's a valuable lesson for the younger players trying to do that as they, as guys get deeper and deeper into it, I think it gets harder and harder because it's kind of coming to the end. Like every time gets more and more valuable. So Jordan, you kind of got nothing to lose at this point. You know, you got backing, you got, um, you just have nothing to lose. So we, we try to go about it that, at that mentality and, you know, just see where it went. And he had to start all the way from the beginning from pre-qualifying. And that's a pretty long road to go through pre-qual stage one, stage two, and then final stage. I mean, it's pretty, it's a pretty grueling effect. And it's not easy getting through any of those stages. I mean, you're like pre-qual, I think, was top 30 maybe out of like 70 people. And then from there, it was like top 18 out of 75 every stage. And, again, these are all great college players, uh, great stuff. So, I mean, the the message is just do do what you know how to do. I mean, as simple as that sounds, I mean, you've trained, you've practiced, you know you're good, you've had a great – you had a great couple last years. Like, you bomb the ball, just hit it hard and score when you can. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of how we approached it. And, you know, stage two, uh, like, he kind of coasted through prequal. Stage one was a little tight. Uh, but stage two was the interesting one where he shot himself in the foot in day one and shot, like, plus one. And if you do that out there, I mean, you're, like, rock bottom. As, as bad as that sounds, you shoot even, you're like at the bottom of the barrel. So he he gets behind, and then again from there, I was like, well, you know what? My philosophy is things average out. So like if you had a p- really poor round, you're just bound to be really great the rest of the way. Like that's the way I see it. And he just screams like, yeah, I'm just gonna plug away. I'm just gonna do what I'm gonna do. So he finished literally just four under, four under, four under, and he climbed his way back up. Actually, I'm sorry, he shot six under the final day. Uh, six or seven, somewhere in there. But he he played well the last three days. Um, so he's sitting there, and this is a roller coaster day. And I'm in, like meetings with my club and stuff, preparing for <laughs> for things coming up. And 
So I'm getting all these texts of like, oh, Jordan's in. And I'm like, what? And I'm like, oh, like, sorry to see that because he was one of the first in and like the, the scores were going all over the place. I don't know how much you followed Q school. So he was bouncing in and out. And then he was almost a for sure out. And I was like, I'm getting all these texts from people saying, yo, sorry to hear that. You know, so close, yada, yada. And then I'm, I'm driving somewhere and I'm on the phone with my wife and she's just kind of like, just for the fun, refreshing it. And she just screams. She goes, Kyle, he's in. I was like, what? Like, how is that even possible? <laughs> and she's like, she was looking at the last guy to come in, bogey the last two holes to get him in. <laughs> like, it's, and sometimes that's just, it's that fine of a line, isn't it? Right. It you was. just need that kind of a break. Right? That was literally and, the only thing that could have happened was the final group, the one guy in the group had to bogey the last two holes <laughs> to let in. And the great thing is, is that guy still got in too, but he let like four other people who were on the, on the cut line to get into so it went from like you know depression to excitement all, all just a minute or two what do you guys work on now is it sort of just fine-tuning it for lack of a better word i mean the kid can obviously play so you're not mm-hmm. gonna you know we're not rebooting it is it just tightening it up a little you know just a little here a little there and just sort of keep it on that path he's on per se yeah for sure it's just you know always looking it's always really the same tendencies um he typically gets a little laid off and then the club head drops behind him and he gets a little stuck. So we always just, just work on getting uh, the club a little set at the top. I mean, Jordan's, he doesn't like mechanical feels at all. And that's kind of part of just knowing how a player operates and how they think. So we typically just always work on his rhythm to get him into places. And that's when he's been most successful. We, we put kind of put a little physical trigger into his swing Um Kind of like Matt Wolf, but not like that crazy. Just a little bump left, and that's just kind of what he feels like. I just feel like I just get that little bump and swing and hit it. And usually he plays his best when it's like that. So uh, if anything's off, you know, we'll tighten it up a little, but it's typically just trying to remind him of what he's good at, and then we just keep grinding on short game because when he can get up and down, um, he scores very low. Like his ball striking is never really an issue. Even when he hits it poorly, he's – 14, 15 greens around. Because he, hit he hits wedge in there. I was just going to say, I mean, yeah, just, I mean, if you could dial in the wedge game and, you know, convert those eight footers, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that's the that's the money right there. I mean, because right. have a lot of short irons into the, you know, with that much club head speed. So, the, you know, the equation's sort of got to be in front of you of, okay, this is what we got to do because you're going to have a ton of wedge shots, I'd have to imagine, even at 7,300 yard golf course. Well, I mean, he I mean, he hits his gap wedge like 150, so he doesn't hit a whole lot, of, you know, over a gap wedge. We'll That's say, insane. right? Well, I uh, got a couple of quick hitters here for you, but yeah. before we hit those, if people do want to, I forgot to ask you this earlier. If people do want to reach out to work with you, you know, find you. What's the best way, you know, for people listening to the podcast to find you? Yeah, so I have a couple of different avenues. You know, I have my in-person academy, uh, which is called Champion Ways. Um, I'm in the Chicago area. North suburbs, and then uh, you know, have the podcast, which is you know about a lot deeper topics of what we talk about. I have a co-host by the name of John Weir, and John and I are really putting together a program about you know the mental game and practice and kind of meshing our our stuff together. And we have something really pretty special, I think, coming out pretty soon, just on you know personalities and and how that applies and you know, really starting to understand your own self and how to think on the course. Because like you said, some people just kind of need to have that one thought. Some people need to be more like Jordan where it's more rhythm. You know, we just kind of help players understand 
that it's not always about, hey, you need to just look at the target and hit it, or you don't always have to just have a swing thought. So we just are helping people clear that up and understand their mental game. So really excited about that. But the podcast is the Go Low Show. Um, but, yeah, that's that's kind of the extent of it. And then our, um, our platform is going to be called Mental Golf Academy, one that launches uh, probably in the next month. Well, I hope, uh, like I said, if people need to get a hold of you, um, you know, they can do it to those, uh, through those means and whatnot. And I can't wait to listen to the podcast of what you guys have coming forward, uh, myself. So I was going to uh, get out of here with a couple quick hitters and let me know your thoughts on these, what kind of come to your mind. So, yeah, man. all right, let me know when you're ready. Uh, uh, best two or three golf swings that you personally love on the PGA Tour. And what do you love so much about those player swings? Like what's about their rhythm, mechanics, all of it that you just like, I love that motion. Yeah. So I, um, you know, I, I just, I love Tiger. So I got to always say him. I mean, it's cliche, but um, I've always been a big Tiger fan, regardless of his personal stuff. I mean, just what he's done for the game and stuff. And, you know, regardless of what he's done with his swing, it always just looks so good to me. Um, it's just so clean and so simple. But on the other note, I mean, this might shock some people, but I really like Matt Wolf's swing just because, I mean, it's as like goofy as it looks. It's got a lot of rhythm to it, and he repeats it, and he does it with a lot of confidence. So maybe it's just I like how he acts and stuff, but um, I kind of like the swing. You know, it's grown on me, we'll say. I think Tiger's swing looks good as it has in a long time. I thought when he was under Foley, it looked a little stiff and, you well, know, kind of just looked – what's the way I'm looking? It looked like a big, strong dude trying to kind of lash through it. Now he looks a little thinner. It looks like there's a little more rhythm to it. It's a little less uh, army or – it just flows much better. I'm trying to describe art of watching a swing, but to me it looks – Looks, you know, looks like he took ten years off his his body or whatnot. It just looks cleaner to me. Well, I think he's getting back into like what always made him great, which was you know his feel and the ability to work shots. And and Foley has been very successful. And I can't, I, I don't want to say anything bad about him, but he fits a certain kind of personality of like the Justin Rose, who is a more of that engineer type and very mechanical, and likes that sciencey kind of approach. You know, so that's just it just wasn't a great fit for Tiger. So, you know, Foley and Como are both very uh, high tech teachers, I'll call them. And again, that's really great for some people. But Tiger is always somebody who's like, you know, he even as on a video just talking with Jason Day and he's like, you know, I can't even hit to spots. He's like, I just kind of see the whole environment. I feel like you hear what he says, like I feel and I sense things like you take a player like that and you start getting him thinking about numbers and positions like. It's kind of what happened to him. He just it, he couldn't play as well. Yeah, it looks freer to me. Maybe that's what I'm looking for. His golf for swing sure. looks more free to me now, where he just sort of sees, I want to hit a cut, I hit a cut. If I want to hit a draw, I, I hit a draw. And the mechanics are there to do so. But it just looks like, you know, in that match from this weekend, it looked free to me. Mm-hmm. It just looked free. So I love where his golf mm-hmm. swing is right now. I think he's going to be back. In, I mean, he just won the Masters as of recent, well, last year. But, I mean, he's he's going to win again for a while, I believe. Yeah, if, as long as the you know if he can keep swinging like that, as good as he puts it, and as good as his mind is, mm-hmm. yeah, there's going to be more victories. I you know and yeah. he's you know as as long as uh, like you say he doesn't break down, 
he's going to be tough, man. He's uh, he's looking good. Right. Uh, you live in the North Shore of Chicago, which has some uh, you know great great history of golf, great golf courses, all of that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. What's what's a couple of your two or three favorite courses to play in Chicagoland? <laughs> I kind of knew you were going there with that question. You know, this might shock you, but I think I've played a total of eight courses in Illinois. What? I you're I, a pro. Calling call the favor. I know, I know. But in the, as of last year, I actually started committing to playing more because I just you know I'm getting a little older. And um, but I mean I'm I'm just always that person where if I can help somebody, I would I would always rather help them than go just play for myself. So truthfully, I haven't played a lot. However, I'll still give you a few. Um, I really, really enjoyed Stonewall Orchard. I don't know if you're familiar with that place. Mm-hmm. I am. It's a really good public place. I just kind of like the setting of it. Um, it was challenging and there's just a lot to it. All right. So speaking of Jordan, he's a member of Bull Valley. Like I have a serious love hate relationship with that place. I'm on the hate side. <laughs> I think it's just it's kick a, the shit out of me. It's, it's just a, like it's yeah. so hard sometimes. If you're slightly off, it just beats the crap out of me. It's just a beautiful plot of land. I get that. Yeah, but it's that's just yeah. It gets kicked my butt a, a bunch of times. But I also contribute that a lot of that to Jordan's success of just playing that place and toughening him up uh, through his career too. So I do like that place. Um, I'm trying to think. I had another one on the tip of my tongue, but um, give me one second here. You know, you I'll, I'll kind of de- I'll defer back to you. Like, I, I don't I don't know if I should say this, but like Conway Farms, I think is kind of overhyped. What's I'm your take on that? that? Yeah, I'm with you on that. I mean, it's solid, but it's. I mean, it, to me, this Chicagoland area has such rich history of, you know, the classics, right? You know, Exmoor. Chicago Golf Club, Shore Acres, Beverly, mm-hmm. um, Medina, um, Old Elm, right? I mean, oh, I love Old Elm, right? Uh, there's so many classics that those to me are the creme de la creme of Chicago golf, right? Sure. Beverly. Um, that those those to me over any of the modern courses, I even like the classics over like Butler National, I think those are – you know, if you can go play Exmoor of original Donald Ross mm. and those greens and that complex, to me, that's still the best, you know, um, Evanston Country Club, also a Donald Ross after a restoration. Oh, my gosh. Is it if you love golden age architecture, right. it's just brilliant. It's just absolutely, you know, Skokie. Oh, I love Skokie, right? Like that is, that's my utopia right there. So I always go to the classics right. more than, you know. Conway, which is a fine golf course, don't get me wrong, but like I think those are, you know, you go spend a day if you're fortunate enough to play Shore Acres, man, and that's that's an afternoon right there. Mr. Seth Rayner knew what he was doing with that piece of property. It's just brilliant. Yeah, I've I've been on the property, <laughs> um, but I just have never actually ever actually played there. And and Evanston, you know, I walked it actually for one of Jordan's college tournaments, just watching him and a great course. Uh, you know, it was a sunset. Valley or Ridge? What's the what's the nice country club? Which one? So, is it Sunset Valley? I'm not sure on that one. Where's that one at? Well, they uh, it's kind of in that same area, uh, or like in the north 
um, was it North Brook area? I don't know, but they had the Western Am there a few years back. Um, I, that was a pretty pretty nice place too. Yeah, there's so many good classic old clubs up in that area. Like I mm-hmm. said, that's the history is just great for Chicagoland. But um, no, Conway I think is solid, but it's not. You know, it's not it's not Chicago Golf Club. But you know, how many are? It's funny too because everybody like I know a lot of members at Conway and they were all hyped about the BMW coming there. But like year two of it coming there, we're like they're like, all right, this is ridiculous because <laughs> it's just yeah, their course shut down. down. Yeah, yeah, it trampled and the rest of it. I mean, that's why I think most of the higher end clubs, you know, they don't want it. Right, you right. Know, they don't. They don't want to have their you know course closed for two weeks beforehand to get it perfect. Then the the consequences afterwards. It's good exposure for the club, but. You know, I, uh, well, in some of these classic courses, too, they're too short. You couldn't have an event out there, right? You could have maybe like what Chicago Golf Club did where they had like the, the women's, um, U.S. Open out there for the, uh, for the senior ladies, right? And that's perfect for them, you know, uh, at 63 or 6,200 yards. Uh, but some of these places are just too short for a modern event. So you got to have a course like a big boy course like Conway that's long enough and they still go low. I mean, right. but you have to have the room and you have to have the infrastructure. But yeah, I don't know if I'd want to have my course shut down for what, a couple of two or three weeks right in the middle of the season. That'd, that'd be tough. Yeah, and that wouldn't, you know, we only have a, well, with Corona now, like a f- yeah. four month season. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, if you can get, uh, you know, if you can get uh, on the uh, Shore Acres or, you know, Exmo, which I'm sure you can, but you should take the time to go go play some of those classics that are up in your area, right? I mean, it's like playing golf in a museum. It's it's history. You know, gosh, you know, the green to Exmoor with Donald Ross. Like, what what was in the water? Because it's just genius. You know, the runoffs and the nuances, it's just so good. It's so good. Right. So, yeah. You know, you got you got you got to go play every now and then, pro. I know you're helping everybody, but you got to go out there and sneak a few of those rounds in. Such good stuff, right? Such good stuff. Well, thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Look forward to hearing the podcast uh, with Jack Riggins you have coming up this week, and um, you know, keep me in the loop of what's going on. I'm looking uh, forward to seeing all you guys' progress and stuff you're working on. Well, I appreciate you having me on. It's always always fun to talk and um, keep the good stuff going with sub seventy. We will, my man. We will. Thanks, Pro. I appreciate it. Absolutely.